Sephora stores are everywhere you are. So just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. I just renewed my membership this morning. You should too. (laughs) Thank you, Anna Jane. And now on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Anna Jane Joyner, a climate activist living on the Gulf Coast of Alabama. And I'm Marianne Hitt, a climate activist and director of Sierra Club's Beyond Coal campaign living in the West Virginia Hills. And this is No Place Like Home, a podcast that gets the heart of climate change. This season, we are diving into the emotional, spiritual, and psychological side of climate change in a season we're calling All the Climate Feels. I am so thrilled to bring you this episode, our first episode of 2019. So we talk with this amazing poet and artist, Joel McCarrow, who's also a dear, dear friend. But we explore kind of creativity as a healing bomb for our our hurting hearts um, as we face climate change and also as a critical tool in the revolution and, you know, fighting for our planet and our lives. I can't wait. But first, Anna Jane and I have some catching up to do. Happy New Year, Anna Jane. Oh, thanks. I'm so stoked for 2019. Welcome back. How was your holiday? It was beautiful. My whole family came down here and we ran around on the beach, did a little midnight swimming. <laughs> but yeah, we had a we had a great time. And then I went up to Asheville to, to say hi to my old wise mountains for New Year's. And now I'm back and stoked to get started. Well, I am too. I'm feeling very good about 2019. I, uh, I took the advice of our last episode from our incredibly wise guest, Adrian Marie Brown, about rest and the fact that everything in nature requires rest, including us. And so I spent two weeks off of social media, mostly off the internet, uh, just with being with my family and being with my place and being with myself. And I am feeling very rested and ready for the year ahead. And I can't wait to start it off with this episode. Oh, I love that so much. And I'm so proud of you. It's hard to do. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. So Anna Jane, you were in uh, all these places that you love and sustain you over the holidays, which makes me so happy. And before that, you were in Australia, which is where this interview and this conversation come from. So can you tell us more about what what you were doing there? Yeah. So I went over um, to Australia and New Zealand to talk at the Justice Conferences, where my friend Joel, who we'll be hearing from shortly, was also a speaker. And it was it was the most amazing, incredible experience. So cool. Well, what what did you talk about? What was the what was the what was your message to uh, your 
crowds of admirers out there in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was really scary and intimidating. I, you know, it's been a hard few years and I used to do a lot of public speaking, but I haven't done as much of it lately. So I was, I have to say, I was really nervous, which is a little bit out of character for me. But I took Renee Lertzman's advice to heart and really went raw and vulnerable and shared about how, you know, how it has been a hard few years. And I kind of did go to this place where, um, I didn't have a lot of hope. And it really was people like Dr. Kate Marvel and this whole idea around uh, finding courage in the face of climate change that that helped kind of reframe my activism and in my work in a way that I could show up for and, and kind of, um, you know, get excited about because it does feel overwhelming sometimes. But, you know, all great stories involve courage and showing up to to fight things that are that are feel big and overwhelming. It was amazing. It was such an incredible experience. And I'd love to share a, a clip with you from that. When I'm feeling afraid or sad or overwhelmed by this crisis, I try to remember why I started doing this in the first place, which was out of a deep and abiding love. Fear is not going to save us, but maybe courage and love can um, so a couple of actors. well, Anna Jane, I love that you took all of the guests of this season of our podcast and the journey we've been on together and wove that into this speech where you demonstrated this incredible vulnerability and uh, didn't shy away from the hard emotions, but also rallied people to to courage. And it's just great to hear. And I'm so proud of you. And I'm sure you were amazing. So welcome back. And thank you for bringing us this incredible conversation that we're about to have uh, right after this quick word from one of our listeners who is going to share how they are coping and staying sane in the era of climate change. Hi, my name is Treesong. I'm from Carbondale, Illinois. Here are two ways I'm staying sane in the face of climate change. Number one is reading and writing climate fiction. I love reading, and storytelling is such a great way to explore climate problems and solutions. We could really use some tales of climate courage right now. Number two is being a real-life superhero for the climate. Yes, I've even got a superhero costume. It puts a positive spin on my activism, instead of dwelling on what I can't do. We can all be superheroes for the climate. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. 
Welcome back, everyone. All the climate feels on No Place Like Home, and we've got such an exciting conversation here. And so, Anna Jane, just tell me, I have not not met Joel, but you have raved about him. So for those of us who haven't met him, uh, just tell us a little more about him. Joel is this like incredible Australian, very tall, striking man. He has long red hair, and he's really like looks kind of like the sweetest lion you've ever seen or met. (laughs) And he has this mystical, magical quality about him that is mesmerizing, as you'll see as we talk and listen to his poetry. And I think when you're kind of in his his realm, you feel like you're just seeing the world a little bit more beautifully and a little bit more full of awe. So I can't wait to share share him with all of you. And you both share uh, evangelical Christian background, right? Yes, we do. We both were raised in the evangelical church um, and grew up with a very deep connection to nature and to the earth. Joel grew up on the beach. I grew up in the mountains and then also spending time down here on the Gulf Coast, but didn't really, you know, environmentalism was kind of a dirty word or just wasn't really something that was a framework within within our religious upbringing. And it wasn't until later that both of us kind of brought together our love and connection for this earth with taking care of it. So it was actually a book that really changed everything for Joel. It's a book called Eternal Echoes by John O'Donohue, who is an Irish Celtic Catholic priest and a poet. And the story of how Joel came across this book is pretty crazy. I had this this moment with this book um, that might sound really strange, but I was walking past a bookstore one day, a secondhand bookstore by a river, and I knew that inside, somehow I knew intuitively, whatever it might be, that there was this orange book in the back room. And so I walked inside and I walked to the back room and on the left, there's this orange book. I pick it up and it's by this guy, John O'Donoghue, I'd never heard of before. I carried that book around with me for the next three years. Mm -hmm. Every time I read it, it broke me open. And he was able to name and give me a, a tradition. So he talks about Celtic spirituality and Celtic Christianity. And, and a major part of that is our connection with the land mm-hmm. and our connection with the earth around us. And so he talked about this and I was like, this is me. This is this is what I hold on to. This is part of who I am without, but I've never been able to articulate it. And suddenly I realized that I am in relationship with this mother earth and that I am a part of her. And so stemming out of that became my desire to care for her, to be part of her. And I try to, I don't do, I'm not here saying I do a good job at it, but I try to then live that out in my life. That is really powerful. You know, I think I kind of came about it in the reverse order. It sounds like it was his spirituality that brought him to environmentalism. And in some ways, I think it was my environmentalism that brought me to my spirituality because of the sort of psychological and emotional wear and tear of being a full-time activist and confronting the the pain of the world every day that I needed some kind of a deep well to tap into to sustain myself. But I love how he talks about it as a two-way street, that these two things are, if we can tap into that, it sustains us as much as we think that we're kind of helping the earth, you know? (laughs) So Joel just does such a beautiful job of connecting his creativity to his activism. And I love this poem um, that he shared with me while we were recording this interview that really connects those dots. It goes a little bit like this. So let's just say, just hypothetically, of course, I know it's completely ridiculous, but what if we only had one planet? Just one. 
one planet to live on, one planet to breathe and eat from, one planet to make our day upon our way upon, make our cities upon, sink our teeth into one ocean, one sky, one people, one life, one time that we can make this right. So we miss the point on so many things. The real stuff gets lost in the wrapping, the heart of the matter drowned in an ocean of argument. The earth chokes and we bicker about the smoke and the science and the wind and whose fault it could never be. Forget she lies grasping for clean air. We argue the science, forgetting the maths, that the earth is a birthday cake. And if there are 10 people at the party and only one cake and I eat the whole thing, then somebody must be starving to death around here. If everybody ate cake at the same rate that I do, we would need three more chocolate velvet and dirt. We have eaten, we, we have eaten too much of this earth, mouth smothered in cream, making ourselves sick from the icing. In the past, 30 years of birthday celebrations, we have gulped down one third of this cake already taken, one third of her forests already. Look at my pudgy fingers and my rolling belly. I am Augustus Gloop at the party. Yes, somebody must be starving to death around here. So let me break it down for us. If there are 10 trees tall on day one and only two are left standing on day four, then we shall never make it through this week. I have been taking much more than my fair share, but forget about the maths. What about the people? What about Rosalie in Mozambique? Her crops are washed away by the floods that only ever came once in a lifetime, yet now they rush the shore every other day. Or what about Manju from northern India? She has never heard of the phrase climate change. She just knows the years of failed rains and crops. She had never seen changing weather like this before. Every day she tries to keep her family from starving. As we forget the mother working tirelessly in her fields, we forget the father digging trenches around gardens, we forget the son digging holes to mine coal for our comfortability, we forget the daughter waist deep in flooded waters, we forget because it is easier that way to pretend the bliss of ignorance, the kiss of indifference. But from the bottom of this ocean, to the tips of the tops of the peaks that touch the sky, to the cities and the factories on the surface of her skin, to the smoke and the smut that we cover her in, we forget that we have only ever had one planet, one ocean, one sky, one people, one life, one time that we can make this right. So happy birthday, world. Let us blow out the candles of our indifference. And this year, I promise to eat less cake. That was amazing. Blow out the candles of our indifference. You know, I think that's something you and I have talked about so often that people's, our, our inherent defensiveness against how overwhelming climate change feels creates this indifference that, then results in apathy and, and uh, people just being too overwhelmed to act. And what a moving poem and what a beautiful way to end it, to blow out the candles of our indifference. I love that. And, you know, that's what, what hopefully we're doing with this season of the podcast is helping people find a way to do that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think that is exactly what we're trying to do with the podcast. And it's also just what kind of creativity and storytelling, 
you know, has the power to do to take these difficult or hard or even confusing and scary situations and emotions and make them very concrete and real. And, you know, Joel doesn't just use his creativity and poetry, you know, as you can see, for fun. He does it because he really believes that it inspires uh, action and revolution. And I think we've seen that a lot throughout history, creatives and artists being core kind of ingredients in in and revolution. And I think that part of that is because it has the ability to really make things real for people. Often we talk within creativity about moving from the abstract to concrete, that creativity has to do that. Because if we stay at an abstract level, it doesn't impact the emotion and it doesn't impact, it doesn't make people dissatisfied with where things are at. And so um, any, like often you think about creativity as kind of being abstract, like broad brushstrokes, but actually the more powerful creativity is is when we are really getting to specificity, like really into the concrete details, into the stories, into the, it's like creativity takes the big things of life, the abstract concepts, and, and brings them down small enough that you can see them and, and taste them and, and feel them and feel them. Absolutely. And I, and that's what story does. Like if you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. And so for me as a poet, like that's what I'm trying to do is to tell that alternative story to bring about reformation and revolution. It, 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 a, a, change happens within society because story sits at the centerpiece of society and the centerpiece of who we are. The stories that we tell is what shapes us as individuals and as a community and a society. If, if we can grab a hold of that and use our storytelling, our poetry, our creativity, whatever it might be to spark change, then that's what will actually bring about um, revolution in our society, the, the telling of an alternative story. Hallelujah and amen to that. That is so powerfully said. It reminds me of Adrienne Marie Brown, our prior episode, which I also loved so much. You talked about the power of science fiction to give us the license to tell a different story because we're actually living in someone's story, even though we may not realize it. And oh God, I just so resonated with me because I just live every day in the realm of the abstract the parts per million and the megawatts and, uh, you know, all of that is, and the policy and all of that is important, but I, I just love that it's creativity is how we bring that abstract into something that's meaningful. I love that particular insight. I am definitely going to carry that away with me. Yeah. And he also talked about like in that sense of, of artists being prophets and revolutionaries and visionaries about how we can use art and creativity and storytelling as a way of subverting the, the dominant narrative and really offering another path. When you preach at someone about climate change, defenses will go up straight away. If they're not on board with you, they're defensive against you. Creativity kind of has this ability to cause people to not put up their defenses straight away, to tell a story that draws people in, to give them an image, a reality that that they might not even know that they're engaging with, with these what's happening inside them until then it's like the punchline comes the hit comes and they're like oh i haven't thought about the world that way i haven't thought about the earth that way so creativity tends to and why i love it is it it gets underneath people's skin it gets under their defenses and speaks to this heart space and before they even realize that they can be changing their mind on something much more so than someone preaching to them. So I try not to preach. I try to, creativity is all about, don't, don't tell me, show me, 
show me this um, this reality, point me towards what it could be. So that's, that's what I think creativity can do in terms of climate change and in terms of its effectiveness is um, it's, it's the creative stories and the imagery and the poetry and the writing and the movies and the songs, they're the things that stir stir people to dissatisfaction and therefore the desire to change. You and I, Anna Jane, uh, that so resonates with me because you and I have talked for years together about the need to tell better stories about climate change. And that's one of the reasons that we started this podcast was to explore that and experiment and play with that and figure out how to do it. All stories involve a hero fighting against insurmountable odds. You know, all, all the great stories, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, the Bible. <laughs> what, yeah, what, what I was going to say Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, and if, if, if that's the most definitely the, the situation that we are in now. And and uh, I love how creativity, I love his, his thought as well, that people have their defenses down when you're approaching things for, with, with creativity um, and uh, can come to those kind of insights in a new way when you're not just preaching at them, which is interesting coming from someone from a religious background that he would advocate not preaching at people, but <laughs> somebody who has a background in preaching, yeah. uh, but moved to poetry. Yeah, it's fascinating. Like even as a young activist, like when I, we were back in the, the end mountaintop removal days, I remember I was always drawn towards tactics or tools that incorporated creativity. So like music concerts or tours. And it's kind of like Joel was saying, like I didn't have a language for it then, but it was because I could, in, I could see that it opened people up, you know, getting people to a show about ending mountaintop removal and having the artist kind of interweave it into the performance. People would come with such a more open perspective than if you were just giving a talk on on ending mountaintop removal. And we, I remember a couple of times we would run out of petitions and I'd look around and see all of these people who were not activists wearing buttons and stickers and like, how do I sign up to do more? And I just, I do think I've known for a long time that creativity is a really powerful tool in sparking revolution. And I think now I'm just beginning within like the past couple of years and, and befriending Joel to understand the language and really the potency around it. So Joel gave an example of how poetry and art inspired an environmental protest and movement in his country. Um, and it was this amazing poet named Alice Ether, um, an Australian poet who has since passed away, but she used her, her incredible gift of poetry to inspire a fight against fracking in Northern Australia that they later won. So it's this very fascinating story about how poetry actually sparked real change in the world. So I want to share a part of her poem. It's called, My Story is Your Story. People ask me for my story but I thought my story was your story. When I see map of country, I see land, sea, and family. When they see map of country, they see mining fantasies. When I see the seabed, I see sacred sites. When they see the seabed, they see dollar signs. When I see a map of exploration permit 266, I see them trying to reduce my country into three digits. When I see the tides rise and fall, I can read the storms. When they see the tides rise and fall, they just want to find out what's under it all. It's funny how they want to dig so deep, but act so shallow. So I say, goma, ika, no. So water, people say, goma, nika, no. 
Wurnal clan say goma, nika, no. She wrote this poem as a as a protest, and she um, was then able to use this poem. She um, she did it as a video and brought a documentary around it, and it became a rally cry for people all over to come and um, and to protest against this petroleum company and. Um, and so they did. So the poem brought all these people together who then protested and out of that protest, uh, they were able to get this company kicked out um, and to not able to frack their land. And uh, it, was, it was creativity that did that. It was poetry that did that, that stirred this movement, that moved people. That is so beautiful. And so I was moved listening to it and I immediately came to mind um, all the incredible music and, and poetry out of the civil rights movement and and how that has continues to sustain people fighting for justice to this day. Again, in the climate fight, I, I always feel that we have far too little of that. And so um, I, d- I do think in in our work fighting mining and fracking and fossil fuel extraction and also trying to uh, build a better world, that there is beautiful art that people are making and beautiful songs and poetry. And uh, and I occasionally, it will show up at an otherwise very dry and wonky conference and it just changes everything. So um, thank, mm. thank you for that reminder. Yeah, I would love to talk more about that. That's pretty much my life's mission give people chills about climate change so they then go and do something. And I agree, you know, it's kind of twofold. Both we need to be like facilitating and and helping artists um, and giving them a platform, but also there is some great art out there that we need to be bringing to the forefront more because it does change things and it puts, you know, it puts people in a different space, a space of hope and openness and uh, connection that, you know, unfortunately, most speeches and PowerPoint presentations just can't do. But the kind of flip side of, of being a creative and an artist, and I know this because I come from a family of creatives and have have that bent myself from time to time, is that, you know, feeling all those emotions in such a deep way can be very dark and hard. And um, I think a lot of both creatives and activists uh, wrestle with those hard, scary um, emotions. I know both of us have wrestled with it. So I asked Joel, what you know, what does he do when he thinks about climate change? How does it make him feel, and how does he wrestle with those the harder parts of it? For me, it often takes me into a place of despair um, at the reality of our world and what we have done to her and are doing to her. Um, I, uh, to be honest, I try to ignore that despair a lot um, because I don't, I mean, to sit in that despair for a long time, I think takes a lot of, a lot of people who are passionate about this into dark places that they find hard to get out of. Um, And I'm a, I'm always a, uh, I'm the optimist of, so my wife, I always call the pessimist. She would call herself a realist uh, and me a dreamer or something like that. Um, but I'm the optimist. So I, I always try to hold together um, that despair with hope. And I, and I try to see um, the things that are happening that make a difference, the people that make a difference, the, the creativity that makes a difference. 
So Joel says that he sits in this kind of place, in this tension between despair and hope, but that embracing his creativity and his poetry and his art is a way that he processes and unpacks the hard emotional component of wrestling with climate change and coping with despair. And he he wrote this absolutely stunning poem about sitting in the heart of this tension that I'm, I'm just really um, honored and excited to share with you. So I'm speaking of God and of disappointment and the sacred who can feel so far away. I'm speaking of anger and frustration and a faith that is broken and tired and running. I speak of shame. I speak of the comfortability of ignorance and haven't we all walked this path before? You know, the one that weighs heavy on each of us, the call towards living for ourselves, giving ourselves to the bland sameness of day in and day out, to the falsity of possession, the seduction, the wide path and the many who walk upon it. Yet the many, they miss each other and they pass each other lonely. There is too much pain here. Have you seen it? Or not seen it as much as felt it? Let the broken wrap around you like chain, like heavy chain, like sorrow. There is too much sorrow here. It gets under your skin and in your eyes, a dark lens, and everything seems hopeless these days. Everything seems hopeless. The little girls taken as sex slaves, a suicide behind detention center fences, a black man shot, a little boy washed up on a beach, a wife beaten, the president, his grabby hands, and how we just bluff off abuse from those who are in power, the incarceration of color, and always, always the starving children, or just the ones that my government still keeps imprisoned on an island called Nauru and I don't know what to do. Despair is an absence, and I feel useless in its blankness. And yet, friends, my daughter still makes me smile, and my son, he makes me laugh. Yet the girl who was raped on the day that I met her, she would not stop tickling her brother, both of them lost in a rapture deeper than I could ever know. Yet the girl with the HIV scabs all over her body on the dirty streets of Kampala, she would not stop giggling and pulling faces at me, her revelry, a refusal in the face of the disease that burnt through her body. Yet the boy in Burma who had just seen his family family shot. He still loved to play paper, rock and scissors. He would beat me every time. Yet the children still chase each other daily through the bombed out buildings of the broken city. They do not realize, so they do not let the delight die. Yet they fly kites, yet they dance, yet they dream, yet the mothers still sing. And I have heard their song and it sounds like hope. And it sounds like jubilation, and I do not understand it. Still, joy resides here where she should not be. There she thrives more vibrant than anything. So if these fractured friends, if they may still smile, then I too must find a place of gladness 
lest I deny them the delight they have to feel. I too must appreciate the way the day always begins with colour, the way the flowers grow, the way the words taste, the way the afternoon sun warms my skin, the way she lets me in. I too must hold hands with delight and to kiss the extravagance, to revel in this existence, to revel in this existence, to not lose hope, to not despair, to see that beauty. She is everywhere, folded deep into every dark thing, May our lives be a chasing of the beautiful, not a taking of the light into the darkness, but realizing she already resides there. Friends, do not despair. This beauty, she is everywhere, folded deep into every dark thing. So Joel told me he wrote that poem when he was going through um, kind of a dark period himself and really struggling to find hope and light and courage. And yet he kept remembering um, all these experiences that he'd had traveling around the world and meeting people whose lives were far more difficult than him, his and, and how they were able to find joy and beauty in situations that you know many of us in kind of the Western world would just find unimaginably dark. And and so I, I, I think that that is something that for me, I, I think that's, it was a really important lesson because I, I mean, I've shared this with you and our listeners before, but I went through a pretty severe depression after the election. And I think that um, I liked what he said about it feeling blank because <laughs> I just kind of felt like the magic and the life was taken out of me. And what, what slowly helped me get back up and helped me get back to the fight was like just sitting outside and watching the sunset and looking at the beauty around me and really um, meditating on how, even though this this fight, climate change, is so scary and, and overwhelming, like I have been given the opportunity to do something about it and, and in the meantime to appreciate and, and, and revel in this incredible experience of life, which even in the face of climate change still does hold so much beauty. Um, so yeah, it's kind of you know, art and, and beauty chasing as therapy. Really, really moving. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if uh, we often think about it that way, if we often think about art as a form of therapy. Yeah. And I mean, for him, it's like, you know, it's basically his poetry is a daily meditation practice. He writes a poem every day and it can be a shitty poem. It could be one line of poetry, but he's committed to it because not only does it make him a better poet and also a better activist, um, but it makes him feel better. Um, it makes him feel more alive. Art and writing for me, they are a they're a therapeutic process for me. They're actually always, if if all the overwhelmingness of our world, like we've been talk, talking about, kind of feels like this balloon that's being blown up inside, and that balloon can just feel so overwhelming sometimes. I think I think creativity is like a way to let some air out of that balloon. Mm -hmm. It becomes this way to take the um, what what I call the aching pain and the delicious hope that is inside us 
and to process through that, to to reflect on that, to not allow the anger and the frustration and the um, that many of us who want to see this world become a different place feel to not allow that to create a bitterness and a cynicism. And a, I know many, I know many angry activists who end up just cynical bastards that don't. Um, sadly, because I think they sit in the anger for so long and it affects the rest of their life. It affects their relationships. It affects, it affects who they are. Or they burn out. Or they burn out. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it affects them at an emotional, at a spiritual, at a psychological level, all that mental illness level, all that kind of stuff. And so for me, it becomes, um, one of the main things is it becomes a way to, to get that out of you to get that out of you, to not let that become gangrenous within you, but to be able to express it and to put it on the page rather than let it rage around inside you. You know, that's certainly like one of the reasons I remember we started this podcast was like, we were like, we have something we want to say. We have a more creative angle that we want to take to this conversation around climate change. And that's the thing is like, I think a lot of people, and I know I did this for a long time because in our in our family, my little sister was the creative one and I was more the intellectual academic one. But it took me a long time to realize that I need creativity too. Like if I do not incorporate that into my life, into my work, into my practice, um, I do get kind of stagnant and, and unhappy. And so I think a big part of his uh, wisdom and light that he shares with the world is that, you know, creativity isn't just for poets or, you know, quote unquote artists. It's for all of us. And we all have to to access and kind of nurture that piece of us um, to help us process and express these really difficult feelings and emotions and to kind of connect with each other as we walk this journey together. Well, Anna Jane, I just want to say thank you for this. It feels like you just gave me my Christmas present. <laughs> no. So beautiful because, you know, I had a I had a, a very hard year last year in my work, just a lot of a lot of changes and uh and just the work is hard, uh, staring into the maw of the news cycle every day. And, um, and one of the things that our, our favorite, uh, internet pastor, Rob Bell, uh, who you sh everyone should listen to the Rob cast if you aren't already, uh, talks about a lot is how people who are trying to do good for the world, um, like you and me and many of our listeners, I'm sure, um, oftentimes we're white knuckling it and we're holding onto it so tightly and we become so hearted and bitter by it. Um, as Joel just said that, that it kind of comes in waves off of us, sort of the bitterness and the, I mean, I think he said it becomes gangrenous <laughs> in you. Yeah. You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about how to do this, but do it with joy and hold it more lightly. And as he said in that incredibly beautiful poem that you shared, to always find that light that is within all of the darkness. And I just, this last little piece here about creativity being a way to do that, honestly, it was just not something, I had not connected those dots myself. I had thought, well, you know, I'm busy, I have a child, I have a very intense job, you know, I hardly have time to exercise <laughs> or meditate, you know, how, how do I go about holding this more lightly? And I feel like this, this whole conversation has, has uh, given me some new insights about how to do that. And, you know, what I also love about it is it's, it's not just for, as you said, your sister, it's not just for the quote unquote creative people, but it's for all of us that we all have this to tap into and it can strengthen us and sustain us and make our work in the world 
uh, more powerful. So thank you, Nina Jane. She's beautiful. Oh, you're so welcome. Happy New Year, everyone. Okay, that just about does it for us. Marianne and I want to thank you all so much for listening. Huge thanks to the amazing band River Wireless for our theme music and also to our sponsor, the Sierra Club. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and also please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps us get the word out. We will be posting all of our episodes and updates on our Twitter page at NPLH Podcast. So be sure to follow us there and let your friends know that uh, they can find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you like our show or have any questions, comments, suggestions, or you want to be a part of our show by sharing how you stay sane in the face of climate change, tweet at us. Again, we're at NPLH Podcast. And remember, there is no place like home.